We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, good morning. It's the uh, inaugural edition of IV Countdown to Kickoff. Glad to have you with us here today. Vince D'Addario fired up across from me. I'm Sean Styers, and we've had people in the YouTube chat going at it already. We've got a lot of different stuff that we're going to get to today. Are you fi- we're we're actually a week away, you know, from Notre Dame kickoff. Obviously, of but we have got college football today. Uh, we're going to spend most of the first hour talking about Notre Dame, as you would expect. And then I actually have to cut out because Al Golden and Tommy Reese, they were originally scheduled for a later afternoon media session over at Notre Dame, but they moved it up to, I think it's 1150 just before noon today. So I've got to get over to Notre Dame. So Brian Driscoll is going to jump in with Vince and kind of uh, look at some of the top 25 and, you know, kind of bigger picture type stuff. You ready to go? I'm double host today. I'm fired up today, baby, because, you know, we've had we've had like a, uh, you know, because everybody out there is a college football fan, obviously, that's watching or listening to the show. And if you're a college football fan, there's a pretty good chance you're a high school football fan. And high school football has been going on for a couple of weeks. So it's like we've had a taste of some football games and the Friday Night Lights and all that fun stuff. And so now I was I was on the sideline with with some people yesterday and they're like, you know, this is great. We're having a great time. But. College football is right around the corner. It's like that's the yeah, granddaddy baby. of them all. So yeah, baby. fired up for college football, man. And like doing research for this show and, you know, the matchups that we're going to talk about in the second half. It's like, OK, this is actually happening. There's an actual college football game happening in two and a half hours over in Dublin, Ireland. In so Ireland. Can't wait right. to watch. Where yeah. name and me will be in a year. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Hopefully <laughs> us. We'll be there, too. Yeah. Right, right, Brian. Good right. Point. Good point. Good point. So what we're going to be doing, of course, this is going to be a new Saturday morning feature slash show, you know, whatever you want to call it. Countdown to kickoff, 10 a.m. Eastern time every Saturday morning, predominantly, you know, before Notre Dame games. That's going to be our main focus. You know, we'll be doing that. So obviously we'll be on next week. Vince and I will do the show here in South Bend um, Saturday morning from 10 until around noon and then we'll jump in the car and we're going to head out get to Columbus get ready for right. the game so hey we've got a couple super chats we should get in here before we uh, get into the meat of the show first one 
Not really anything to say. Inaugural Super Chat, DT Roll Hunter. Glad to have you with us, a regular of uh, of IB Nation. Glad to have you today. And also, WDTY, or DYT, WDYT, thoughts on Notre Dame alum leaving um, athletic director at Auburn. Any future at Notre Dame for Alan Green? I'm a Notre Dame parent and Auburn alum, disappointed. Ooh with uh, Auburn go Irish and Alan Green uh, I don't I don't know him really closely um one of his assistant ADs Brant us they both played baseball at Notre Dame for Paul Mary right. back in the 90s they were teammates in the 90s I know Brant us a little bit better than Alan saw both of them at the College World Series there was after Notre Dame's opening College World Series win over Texas I kind of talked about this before right across the street at the team hotel the whole lobby of the hotel was just swarming with Notre Dame people. That was where Notre Dame was staying. And Alan Green, Brant Ust, and you know a lot of other alums. Paul Maneri was there. Brian O'Connor, the Virginia head coach, was there. You know, it was like a who's who of Notre Dame, yeah. basically. Uh, all, all I can say is one: it sounds like this was a, you know, Auburn the the Auburn section that were in the let's get rid of Brian Harrison, <laughs> you know, the head football coach. This was sort of an ouster. It sounds like that was instigated by them. From from everything that I've seen, Alan Green has done a great job at Auburn, but you're in SEC country, yeah. and I, I think things like this can happen. It was kind of a hostile takeover, I guess you would say. I have point. no doubt that Alan Green is going to land on his feet firmly someplace and do a great job wherever he ends up if it's back at Notre Dame. I think that that would be great as well, and 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 you know, and Brant Ust as well. They they both are great guys and uh, do a great job as college administrators. There you go. You heard it here first. All right. So that's you know I I can't go much deeper into that you know not right. knowing all the specifics, but everything that I've heard makes it sound like you know he he kept Harson. There were a lot of people who wanted to get rid of Harson, and that's kind of the crux of of this. You know, they called it amicable his contract was going to be up in a few months and they essentially yeah. were not going to renew it so they gave him the opportunity you know that that kind th of yeah it said he was leaving leaving for personal reasons you know that kind of thing you know right you know officially and all that and i just saw that news this morning so you had more on it than i did i saw well i i did see it yesterday so okay. I, I at least kind of had a little bit of a heads up fortunately <laughs> before that <laughs> before that question came in this morning we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. 
The black velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls. It was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face, and she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by trade after she filled out a short quiz. You got to give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you, and Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, They'll take your feedback, and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. Uh, as we kind of get into this season, and we're going to sort of preview the Fighting Irish, they named the captains yesterday. Did you see oh. the captains list they named last Dude, night? Dude, I, I was so off of social media yesterday, I completely missed it. I was super busy at work. <laughs> but uh, please, this will be me hearing it for the first time, so please enlighten me on the Notre Dame captains for 22. So you've got three from the offensive side of the ball. You've got three from the defensive side. Six. That's a lot, but okay. It is a lot of captains, I thought. Um, Michael Mayer, I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. Jarrett Patterson, again. Returning captain. The returning captain, great leader. Avery Davis, even though he is injured, is going to be a captain. And I think that's a good one, though, as well. And and I think it's a great one. I mean, he already... Gave his number, I believe, uh, to Logan Diggs, which I thought right. was a, a really big step. Uh, and, and obviously, he's going to be around the program all year. It's pr- conceivably his final year at Notre Dame. He is a returning captain, so I have no problem with that whatsoever. I I, I think that that's um, I think that's a good mix on offense. And those would have been the three top choices for me if I was going to pick because those are the maybe on the outside looking in is maybe like a Josh Lug. Uh, but they've got Jarrett Patterson covered for the O-line. You know what I mean? So I, I yeah. guess I don't have a problem with that. So, yeah, those are the three I would pick. And I, I've i never been a huge fan of, like, so many captains, but those are the three I would have picked on offense. Right. There are three on defense as well. Care to take a stab at – I'll give you one guess. You Isaiah know, Foskey. Yes. Okay. Cam Hart. No. Oh, brutal. Uh, you know what? Brendan Joseph hasn't been. Oh, I was gonna say Brendan Joseph hasn't been there a long time, so probably not eligible. Yeah, but I think he would have been a good pick. Uh, so it's gonna be uh, just see JD. Yes, JD Bertrand, Bo Bauer, Bo Bauer. Yep, you got it. Okay, I I, I can be on board with that. Yeah, and I agree. Like Brandon Joseph, I think maybe if he 
you know, if this was next year and he was, you know, here for a second, right. he's probably not going to be, if you know, assuming he has the kind of season we all think he's going to have. But I think that, you know, again, like you come in, I think it would be really tough to, uh, right. to be a captain and I, and I get into that. that spot. Yeah. Craig Doherty says Bo Bauer surprised him. And I, I agree to a, to a degree, Bo Bauer has been a contributor on this team for such a long time when it comes to mm-hmm. special teams and some of the sub packages. He's always been a leader on this team, even though he hasn't been a defensive starter per se, he's always been in kind of a leadership role and he's always been willing to do whatever the coaching staff asked him. And those are kind of the check marks that come with being a captain. And so I I think he's earned it. I think he's been a contributor long enough to this team. I I think he's earned it for sure. Yeah, I agree. Brandon surprised Jason Adamalola isn't, and also said that Bertrand surprised him. I'm not surprised with Bertrand at all if you you know you kind of get around them and you kind of see how things function and stuff like that bertrand is a really good leader i think i think it makes a lot of sense to me and yeah. like the bo bauer thing i just you know it's here's a guy who again has been relatively selfless he's always bought into whatever role that he has with the team you know you you haven't heard him making waves you know right. be, because he's he you know because he hasn't been on the field more and stuff like that so i think it makes a lot of sense and and right. a really good group i think that they've got well, and if you Again, hear, it's a lot of guys but it's yeah if you, and if you hear the coaches talk about jd you understand that he's been a leader on that side of the ball for a really long time they talk about grasp of the playbook and you know making sure everybody's in the right spot i mean those are again those are all check marks of being a leader and so no way am i surprised that he's a captain i mean no yep. chance all right. One week from today, I guess we can call it. How do we feel about the start of the Marcus Freeman era? Like, has it already begun because of the Fiesta Bowl? Or do you sort of consider next week the official start of the Marcus Freeman era? You know, that's a good point. I, I never really thought about it uh, until you posed this question. And I feel like the actual beginning is now. Now, and I don't want to say that the Fiesta Bowl didn't mean anything because if he won the game, everybody would be talking about it. He's won and oh, and all of those different things. You can't have it both ways, right? And because he lost that game, it feels like people are just kind of putting that one off to the wayside. But in defense of those people, it's a completely different coaching staff. Mm-hmm. He's actually had an entire offseason to properly prepare. It's like he was an interim coach for that game. That's what it felt like to me, even though he was named head coach. And all it was more, yeah, it was more like a coach just left and one of the coordinators steps up for the bowl game and kind of leads through the bowl game. That's correct. It felt more, you know, because again, just like you said, like think of the seven new staff members he has since then, you know, and right. And obviously the departed staff members that were part of that staff. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that's the thing. It's almost like he was just kind of keeping everything together until the end of the season when he could actually make the changes that he wanted to make. And then of course there were defections, to you know of some of the assistants etc we all know the story but it feels like this is the start of it it's the start of a season it's the start of everything now now that oh and one that's still his career record as a head still coach counts. and that's yep. fine i have no problem with that um i think if he would there's some things he would have done differently etc cetera, etc cetera, and that comes with experience but yeah i think really the official start of him as head coach starts on september 3rd I agree as well, but on the other side of that, I think that there's a lot of benefit to a guy who is a first-time head coach to getting that kind of Fiesta Bowl experience that he had because, one, it was 
a relatively high-profile game. It was still a New sure. Year's Six game, even though it wasn't a playoff game Absolutely. or something like that. And just the fact that whether he made all the right decisions or not, he got a chance to make those decisions. And I think just having the chance to make those decisions, it gave him an opportunity to step back during the offseason and take a look at just some diff- you know, some different things. How would I do this? How will I do right. that going forward? All those different kind of things. And now also, because of the fact that there has been so much turnover, I think it gives him now sort of a better handle on sort of how he's managing things, yeah. you know, both kind of a start into the off season and obviously now going into this season. I just, you know, I just think that it is, it was, again, it counts on his record. Like you said, no one's going to sure forget it. But I, I think that there was a lot of benefit for him to having that game. But I, like you, agree that to me, this this feels more like the sort of official beginning to the Freeman era yeah. coming up next week at Ohio State. Absolutely agree. And it's, it's going to be, I mean, again, when you go in, when, and I, I hesitate to use these kind of analogies, but when you go into battle with, with the, you know, the officers that aren't going to be with you moving forward, it's just different. It's the trust level is different. You know, all of those things are different. And now this is the staff that he put together. And so that's what gets me excited. Like this right. is who he wants with him in the foxhole. You know, this isn't the team that or the the coaches that were just kind of assigned to him, which is kind of the way it was for Oklahoma State to a degree. Uh, this is this is who he wants. This is who he put together. And so let's see what he can do with his staff and his makeup and his offseason and all of that. Yep. MT41 asking, when's the first game today? It is 1230, and that is the Nebraska-Northwestern game. And Basically, you know, it's like the best game of the weekend. <laughs> We're leading you right up to weekend. it, baby. That's what yeah. we do. We're leading you right up to it. So you can just watch the show and then just head right over, catch a little pregame, and then right into the actual game itself. So that's what we do here. We're, we're here for you. We have all these discussions about well, what time would you want the game to kick off and all that different kind of stuff. And, and I can definitely say this weekend I would probably prefer that Nebraska-Northwestern to be to be a primetime game as opposed to 1230. But it is in Dublin, so it would be really hard to have a primetime game when you're talking about, what is it, like five or six hours difference over there yeah. in Dublin. It's, and it's later, so yeah, it'd be, yeah. it's, it's primetime over there, essentially. Um, so yeah, we, we got to get what yeah. we get when they're, when they're over in Europe. So Yeah, exactly. So Notre Dame is fifth in both of the preseason polls. Some people like it. Paul, hmm. You know, like some people, like Paul Feinbaum, don't. Um, oh, Paul. Colin Cowherd. It, it's it's funny because to me, I don't know if you saw, and, and I'm surprised I even mentioned his name, but he <laughs> early in the summer, he started talking about, oh, this is going to be a really good Notre Dame team and blah, 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 and all this different stuff. And then he puts out his own rankings a week or so ago, and he's got him 25th <laughs> sitting at the Cowherd bottom. Cowherd does? Yes. Or, oh, jeez. At the bottom of his top 25. So I'm yeah, going to disregard go. that. Let's look at the official yeah. You know, Notre Dame is fifth in both right. the preseason rankings. Maybe it's a, a tad high for, a again, a first-time head coach and a first-time quarterback and all that stuff. But what are your – the expectations for this team seem to be all over the place, both within the fan base and outside the fan base. Again, like if you look at what, you know, some of these national talking heads think, some people think that they're going to be in playoff contention. Some people think that they're highly 
overrated what what should we realistically be expecting for marcus freeman's first team do you think vince well i you know what i think the expectations are right where they need to be to be honest with you i I have no problem if i was going to put together a top 10 i would have notre dame number five i think that's appropriate i there's an argument to be made now granted they're going to meet on the field with clemson there's an argument to be made that they could be above clemson because i think notre dame had a better season last year than clemson did and i think they've got more coming back to be honest, than Clemson does. So there, there's an absolute argument to be made that Notre Dame should jump Clemson. But, I, but I'm fine with the preseason ranking because the preseason ranking, in my opinion, if you're in the top 12-ish, you're going to have a shot, depending on what you do during your season, you've now got a shot to be in the college football playoff. Okay, because you're you're within spitting distance of the, fi- of the top four, right? Yeah. And Notre Dame's five. I mean, they're well within the opportunity to to be in the college football playoff. And that's the goal every year is to be in the top four when they have the final rankings. And so five, I think, is appropriate. I, I, you know, if I put Notre Dame on the field against the teams that they're ranked ahead of, I'm picking Notre Dame like those I'm, I'm and I'm not being biased there. I'm, I'm talking on paper what we've seen, what we know of all the teams that we're talking about. I would pick Notre Dame to beat those teams. So I think five is appropriate right now. Again, there's going to be a surprise team somewhere, both negatively and positively. There is every year in college football. That's why we love it, right? But going into the preseason, the rankings don't mean a whole lot, but you need to at least be in spitting distance of the college football playoff. Clearly, Notre Dame is that. So I I think they're appropriately ranked at five. I really do. And I – the expectations I don't think are going to be too big for this team. And I think that's important to understand too. I think Marcus Freeman is going to have a way of handling his ball club that this isn't going to matter. Like it's not going to be too high for them. The expectations aren't going to be too high for them. There's still going to be plenty of people that are going to tell them how bad they are and how they don't deserve to be there. There's there's plenty of that going around. This team is going to be able to handle those expectations and all of that. Not to mention the fact that, they play the number two team in the country on, a, you know, the first game of the season. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's appropriate. I think this team can handle it. I think even if they lose the first game of the season, there's still going to be where they need to be. The margin of error gets a lot smaller, obviously, but this is appropriate in my opinion. Chris Davison says, I think I'll take plus 230 odds to go over eight and a half games this season. Tell where me where you get your plus odds. 230 odds. If you, if you actually have plus 230 someplace, tell everyone where you're getting them because no the doubt. best I've seen is like minus 115 mm-hmm. or something like that. It's not even so doubling if, your money. To yeah, I mean, if, yeah, if, you see, if you see plus 230 mm-hmm. someplace, I would jump the over on that. And, that you know, like I said, tell everyone else where you're getting those because I haven't seen them anywhere. And I will go to that. We will take a timeout here on the show, and I will go take that bet right now if it's uh-huh. plus 230 odds. I promise you that. Yeah. I mean, if you're given those odds, you know, then maybe you should, I don't know. You, Yeah. I mean, Craig saying eight and a half is way too low. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I think yeah. it's, it, it needs to be either nine or nine and a half. I don't know. I don't know where the eight and a half comes in, especially considering, you know, where the odds are on that. Yeah. I just, we've touched on this before. Is like we we asked the question a few weeks ago: Is Notre Dame a legitimate national championship contender going into this season? And the bottom line is, everything rests on one week from today in Columbus, because we're going to find out one way 
or another. Again, Vegas doesn't like Notre Dame. They're a double-digit underdog. Even some people I talk to around town, they'll ask me, oh, you know, so, so you think Notre Dame has got a shot in that game? And I say, yeah, I do. I think that it's going to be a lot closer than mm-hmm. a lot of people. Th- at the very least, it's going to be closer than a lot of people think, oh, I think they're going to get their doors blown off. Okay, well, That's fine. I don't agree with that, but okay, you're entitled to your opinion. But I just feel like one week from today is going to be the litmus test for Notre Dame because if they are at the very least, and I'm not saying, and again, I'll just repeat it, I'm not saying that they should settle for just being competitive. Obviously, right. they, you know, they're going to go into that game thinking they should win. But if they are at least competitive, you know, like a one touchdown game down to the wire, you know, one touchdown or less down to the wire kind of game against Ohio State on the road, first time head coach, first time quarterback starting on the road in that environment. All these different things that we've talked about, all these different factors, you go into that setting at Ohio State, who everybody loves, of course, because everybody always loves Ohio State. If you're at least competitive in that game, you're going to be in the national championship picture until and if you lose another game at some point. Obviously, and obviously, if you win that game, that's going to vault you, you know, into the top four, and oh, you're, yeah. you're you're definitely a national championship contender at that point. But that's but my point is, we're going to find out right away. I think that they have every right to believe that they can be in that conversation. I think five is the right place for them right now. We're going to find out just how deserving, yeah, they, you know, they are of being number five, and if they can come out of that. Again, with at least a close game, a la what happened in the two Georgia games in the past. You know, even if they lose those games, they're going to be in the picture. And then it's going to be, can you take care of your business? Can you beat BYU? Can you beat sure. Clemson? Can you beat USC to finish Absolutely. off Absolutely. And like I said, the margin of error gets a lot smaller if you lose. There's no question about that. <clears throat> and they need to be competitive. If they If they lose a competitive game to Ohio State, they're not falling out of the top 10. There's no way. And if you're in the top yeah. 10... For the rest of the season, it might not even drop in a spot or two. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're in great shape because people understand what it's like for those kind of games. If you compete in those kind of games, especially if it's on the road, no doubt about it. And people understand what it's like to go to Ohio State and play them there, first game of the season, and everything that comes with that. So, you know, if Notre Dame happens to win, the expectations are going to be vaulted into the you know the stratosphere. You know, if if they're competitive, I still think expectations are going to be super high. Because this is the best team that they're going to face the rest of the year. And I, I have a hard time coming up with another team that is in the same conversation as Ohio State that they're going to play. And people out there maybe say Clemson. They got Clemson at home in November. If this team is where we think that they're going to be in November, it's not playing Ohio State on September 3rd in the horseshoe. It's just it's it's a completely different conversation. So yeah, a lot is riding on this game. There's no doubt about it. And I think barring a blowout, Notre Dame is a national championship contender. And you have to understand what does that mean? What is the definition of a national championship contender? That's somebody that can be in the top four at the end of the season. That's yes. my definition of a national championship contender. Yeah, because four because gets you in the playoff. If yeah, you're in the you're playoff, not- you're a contender. Right. You're, you're competing for a national championship. So as long as you've got a shot at being in the final four, you're a contender. And if you're in the top 10, you're a contender. And so 
I like their chances of being a contender for the vast majority of the season, unless something happens that we're not anticipating, you know, rash of injuries, you know, that kind of thing. You can't predict that kind of stuff. But if everybody stays relatively healthy from a football standpoint, they're going to be in the conversation all the way to the end of the season, in my opinion. Freddie Lee says, hold on. I thought Notre Dame plays next week. Kickoff is today. No, Freddie, you were right. (laughs) Kickoff is next week. This is the preseason edition of Countdown to Kickoff. We will be here, though, for anyone just jumping in late. We'll be here every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. throughout the season. Now, in terms of a couple of other comments, Frank says FanDuel in New York has Notre Dame plus 230 to win 10 plus games. Now that's okay. different than the that's over under eight and a half, but that is you know, different. you would expect them to give better odds on 10 plus, but I kind of like that as well. I'll have to look that one up on my FanDuel app and, you know, see if, yeah. So if they hit 10, it's a plus 230. Uh, that's yeah. especially yeah, if I it's mean, 10 plus. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Not like over 10, but yeah, 10 plus. exactly. I like it, that. I like it's that. not set at 10 and a half. I like 10 plus. That's a, that's a very, yeah. I like that one a lot. Uh, Ryan says, Hey guys, can we get some September 3rd predictions? Uh, not on today's show. We will, uh, second hour of the show, Brian and Vince are going to be going over some of the big games this weekend, kind of setting, you know, sort of the national perspective on some different top storylines around the country and stuff like that. Next week on next week's show, we'll be doing more on next week's games, which of course are September 3rd. Yeah. And then Craig worried about learning on the job of the new head coach and quarterback will make some mistakes. I hope I'm wrong. And you know, no, I, I mean, they're going to make mistakes. Yes. I mean, I just don't know how, I don't, I just <laughs> don't know how high, high leverage those mistakes are going to be. I mean, right. Throwing an interception in the first quarter, you know, that's very overcome. You can overcome that, you know, not going forward on fourth, you know, whatever. It just depends on what those mistakes are, where mm-hmm. they're made, and all of those kinds of things. Yeah, they're good. Look, newsflash, everybody on the team is going to make a mistake at some point or another. There is going to be some learning on the job for both of those guys. Yeah. Unavoidable for both of them. You have to have a first head coaching job at some point. You have to be the starter of the football team at some point. It's going to happen. You have to be able to rely on your coaching staff, you know, Al Golden, former head coach, you know, all of these different things. You have to rely on your coaching staff, and then Tyler's got to rely on the guys around him. You know, there's a lot of veteran presence around Tyler, and there's a lot of veteran coaching presence around Coach Freeman. And so, you know, those guys, they're both team guys. They're going to make mistakes. So, newsflash, they're going to make mistakes, everybody. But we just hope it's not in a situation that's going to be decide the outcome of a game. Right. And as we kind of look at the big storylines for Notre Dame going into the season, obviously – Marcus Freeman is one of them. The fact that he is a new head coach and and the that. fact that, look, you can not like Brian Kelly. That's fine. But you also can't discount the fact that Brian Kelly has three decades of head coaching experience and he's right. like every, literally every situation he has been there, done that. Now you can quibble and quabble with maybe how he handled some of those situations, but he has experienced all of it. And that's, that's, for as much as everybody loves Marcus Freeman and there's a lot to love about him, the experience thing is something that he doesn't have. He's going to be learning on the job. You know, he's going to make a mistake or two, just like you said, how high leverage is the situation. That's one of the top storylines for me. And the other one is Tyler Buckner. And you know, we yep. came into fall training camp, not publicly knowing 
who Notre Dame's starting quarterback was going to be. Was it going to be Tyler Buckner? Was it going to be Drew Pine? As it turned out, just like last year, when Jack Cohn won the starting job over Drew Pine, it took less than a week yeah. <laughs> for the actual official announcement to come. And in neither case was I overly surprised. How about you? No, not at all. And, you know, we, we pretty much knew this was going to be the case in the spring. Um, you know, Tyler had a really good spring. Drew didn't have a great spring. Now, Drew had a much better fall and a much better summer than he did a spring. So he kind of vaulted himself back into that competition. But I don't think it was ever a situation where he was threatening to take the job away from Tyler. And I commend Marcus Freeman for just coming out and saying it publicly, something that everybody already knew. And, you know, we had obviously been at practices and we had seen kind of how things were going. It was clear to the naked eye who the starter was going to be on this team. There was no point in hiding it from anybody because that's just kind of silly. It's like when certain coaches don't put out a two deep or whatever, you know, going into the first game, it's like, Okay, are we really playing this game? Marcus Freeman's like, look, this is our starting quarterback. This is who we're going to battle with, and you know, the first game of the season, let's go. I commend. Were you surprised? Were you surprised from that aspect that he did announce it as soon as he did? You know, like when you're looking at the fact that there's an unknown for Ohio State, and you kind of would keep Ohio State in the dark in terms of their own preparation with two different kinds of quarterback. Did, did that surprise you at all, just how soon he announced Tyler Buckner? Yes and no. It, it really didn't surprise me, only because it was so obvious, in my opinion, that he was going to be the starter. And if it was But again, obvious, it's obvious to us because we're right. here on no, no, a daily no. basis. Like, everyone outside that bubble, it's I don't think it's as obvious to them. But I also feel like in this day and age of communication – if it's obvious to us, it's going to be obvious to Ohio State as well. I just, there's too many connections between Ohio State and Notre Dame for there not to be information being shared in some form or fashion. You know what I mean? Whether, whether it's media, whether it's support staff, whether whatever. There's mm-hmm. just too much communication. There's too many likenesses there. And as far as Marcus Freeman is concerned, look, this is our starter. Go ahead and watch the film last year. What you see on September 3rd is going to be light years different than what you saw all last season from Tyler Buckner. And so go ahead. Hey, he's our starter. Good luck preparing for him. That's kind of how I would feel. I I would have a confidence in Tyler Buckner if I was Marcus Freeman based on what I've seen at practice. And so naming the starter doesn't change anything schematically for me. It doesn't change anything. It would be, hey, go ahead. Prepare for this guy that you see on film because that's not the guy we're bringing to the shoot. Yeah, me too. You know, we sat there and said it at practice last (laughs) week. You know, I turned and said to you when we were sitting there watching Tyler Buckner, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised with this guy this year. Uh, we've we've had the, you know, now granted, we've only seen a couple live practices and we've, we've seen a lot of other drills in the five sure. period practices that we get that are predominantly position drills and stuff like that. But at the same time, I've been very, very impressed with Tyler Buckner's accuracy. It's yes. going to be to me, the biggest thing for him is going to be the decision-making when the whole world knows he's got to throw the football. You know, it's third and 10 or third and 12 or whatever it happens to be, and he's got to throw the football to convert a a first down, especially, you know, like in a a crucial game-type situation. Those are going to be the moments that I think are going to be under the the magnifying glass the most, especially early on until he shows that he can – 
you know, get through those situations unscathed. Oh, absolutely. I have no doubt in my mind that that is going to be, and that's what most Irish fans are going to be looking at too, because there's so many people like some of the people in the chat right now that, and I, I will steal a phrase from somebody that, that said it, that he's a running back playing quarterback. <laughs> you are going to be delightfully surprised when you see Tyler Buckner play on Saturdays, because if you know anything about the maturation process of Tyler Buckner, he was a pocket passer before he developed his athletic ability and ability to run. He's a pocket passer. Yeah. That's where his origins lie. And right. But based on what everybody saw last year, they think, oh, he's just a running quarterback, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So because I he agree was a with change you completely. Of pace guy last year. He was a package Correct. guy last Correct. year. They they got him on the field. And we said going into the season, you need to find a way to get Tyler Buckner on the field, at least in those four games that you can do without losing a year of eligibility because most more likely than not, he was going to be the starter this year. They got right. him on the field. The whole idea was just to have a change of pace quarterback Correct. that could get on the field, get his feet wet. They never ran the, you know, the full offense with him out there. Even in the Virginia Tech game, when he got to play more, it was still just parts of the offense. And that's why you saw a guy who would, it, it wasn't just take off and run. It was all, you know, everything out there was design plays. This is what you're going to do on this play. He's a much different looking quarterback now because he's had an entire off season Correct. to swallow up the entire offense right. and they've molded things around him. Mike with a super chat as an OSU fan, I haven't seen anyone talk about anyone, but <laughs> Buckner being the starting quarterback for months, it's been obvious. I agree with parts of that, but you know, again, Apparently, there have been other guys on our beat who thought this was a more serious competition <laughs> well, than what point. it turned out to be. So That's a good point. And welcome, Matt, know. Mike, to the chat. We really appreciate having you in here, man. Uh, we love having opposing fans come in who are respectful and have some fun with us. So thanks for joining us, Mike. Really appreciate right. that. And and I also want to bring up the fact that our buddy John says Andy should have redshirted Tyler Buckner. If Tyler Buckner is who the staff and who we at Irish Breakdown think he is, He's not a four-year player. He's not going right. to be here that long. So why would you burn, you know, why would you make him sit for a whole year? Use his ability. And again, like you said, he was a completely different quarterback than Jack Cohn. He was the change of pace guy. And they asked him to do what comes naturally to him because he missed a year of football. He was still getting, working his way back in. The easiest thing to do is a read option and just go, right? That's the easiest thing to do. That's what they had him doing. So Redshirting him, I don't think is was the answer because I just don't think he's going to be here long enough for a redshirt to have benefited Notre well, Dame, and it's especially where the and where the program is now with quarterback recruiting, Correct. like CJ Carr, for example. And they were obviously in it with Moore for a long time. You 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 can't be asking those guys to sit for for two and three years. I mean, look at Phil Jerkovic and where he ended up when you know when he was asked to sit. For that long, I mean, where 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 the world of quarterbacking is, yeah, like right, right. So now Tyler Buckner has this year, next year. If he's ready after next year, he's going to declare for the draft. If he's not, if there's room for him to improve, he's going to stay for another year. So right. I, I I think you're exactly right. You know, you I, I don't think redshirting him would have made any sense for the big picture for both him and for the program. Yep, absolutely agree. As far as other storylines, I, I think the biggest one is uh, the return of Harry. You the man, Harry, like <laughs> Armageddon. 
you know, Bruce Willis out there on the asteroid getting ready to blow it up. And Harry Heastan has had those offensive linemen out there and they are just ready to, you know, I think that they are seeing red meat in their sleep right now. They're, they're ready to go. And it's, uh, it's been, you know, I'm not one of these guys who's like, Oh, offensive line play. I love to watch offensive line play, but I like, I have liked watching Harry. He stands guys out there oh. during training camp and just watching and listening to Harry. He stand. It is vintage right now. And you're going to see a, uh, you're going to see a huge improvement in that offensive line this season. And we, there was never a debate about the talent in that room. Never. There was just, ne- there was never a debate. It was coaching the fundamentals. It was firing off the ball. It was not stopping your feet while you're blocking. And guess what we've heard every single practice we've been at. It, it is just hammering, like John said, with his trucker mouth. Fine. <laughs> hammering those fundamentals. Just hammering them. Don't stop your feet. You know, all, all of those different things that we were praying for the last few years have come to fruition already in a month of training camp. Right. And, and of course, there was the spring as well, but it's just a completely new look offensive line with what they're doing, how they're doing it, the mentality that they take to their position. That's going to be the most fun for me offensively is watching this offensive line and what they're able to do. Because as anybody knows who watches football, it starts with the lines. If you've got a really good offensive line, your running game is better, your passing game is better, you know, all of it, everything is better because of that. And if you remember the last year, and I'm sure we all do, when the offensive line was struggling, everything else struggled, right? And they had to scheme around a poor offensive line. Well, it's mostly the same guys back, everybody. So if they're better, yes, they got better because they have a gear under their belt and all of that. But if they are markedly better, like we believe they will be, there's one man who gets the reason for that one. It's it's Harry Heastan, man, no doubt about that. I've been doing high school games the last two weeks out there. And the thing that stands out to me, it's like, you know, like the, the skill position guys on offense end up getting the glory with all the big runs and, you know, everything else. But doing those games, what has stood out is the offensive and defensive lines in particular, you know, like I'm doing Mishawaka games and both lines have been dominant through the first two weeks and I think we're going to, you know, I, we're going to see that from Notre Dame. It starts down in those trenches. That's where you have to build it. And that's, you know, like what Marcus Freeman, I think at one of his, it was his first or second press conference that he did this fall that he wants to be built on. You run the ball, you stop the run. Yeah. And to do both of those things, it starts with the guys down in the trenches. And it was a really experienced defensive line Notre Dame had coming back. But a Harry stands, guys have been going toe-to-toe with that really good defensive line during fall camp. It's made both sides of the ball better, and I think it's going to be fun to to see them get out there and and mix it up with somebody else. You know, guys wearing different colored jerseys here, regardless if it's Ohio State or not. Uh, Quick comment from Sean Kelly. Buckner leaves for 2024. C.J. Carr may have to play as a true freshman. That simple. I mean, that's there's there's at least some truth. There's at least some truth in that. Yeah, it is It is very plausible. Or, just like what Notre Dame did last year with Jack Cohn, maybe you go out and think about a grad transfer. A, little, a bridge quarterback. quarterback you know, you know, yeah, and do, yeah. yeah. And, and do essentially what you did you know, with, with Tyler Buckner 
with C.J. Card. Now the package would look different, obviously, but you find ways to get him on the field. And you know, it's going to depend on how confident they are. I'm sure C.J. Carr is going to come in and enroll early in the spring and all that different kind of stuff, and that kind of helps helps you decide. I think maybe if you want to go that route, but sure, you know, that's it, it's 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 it all sort of happens as you go. You know, you you all you can do is recruit for now, play the best players that you have. Right right now and then you have to make some of those decisions down the road i think yep absolutely any other storylines for you vince that have sort of jumped out this fall during training camp as we build up to the season well you mentioned you know obviously there's position battles and all of those things but those aren't th- those are those are like micro storylines to me the the bigger storyline for me are the two coordinators um and and the re- re- the reason being is because you know Tommy Reese depending on who you talk to, okay, had restrictions on him or, or whatever. He definitely had Brian Kelly as part of the offensive game planning staff, et cetera. It wasn't Tommy's offense. I'll say that, okay? People, you can say he had handcuffs. You can say all these different things. You know, he was calling the plays, but he was calling plays under the offensive game plan that was put together in conjunction with Brian Kelly, Okay. Because there, there are some people that will push back. Oh, it's always been his offense. I will push back on that. So, right. Not anymore, though. It as just, long as Dan Kelly was here, his fingerprints were going to be all over the offense. Right. I think exactly. we saw a lot closer to what Tommy Reese's offense can be in the Fiesta Bowl. Yes. But, you know, if you want to use that against him, okay. But, again, the line is going to look a lot different. The running back situation, you know, like they didn't have Kyron Williams. He, he, right. he sat out for the Fiesta Bowl. The running back situation is going to be different. The line situation is going to be yeah. different. If they had this line and the ability to run the ball in the second half, I have no doubt that they end up beating Oklahoma State. So what is it going to look like? What does Tommy's offense look like, you know, I think one of the best things about Tommy Reese is his creativity, his uh, formational creativity, things like that. That's what excites me. That's what gets me excited about offense. And then you got Al Golden on the defensive side. You know, this was his. La- this was Marcus Freeman's last hire for numerous reasons. Obviously, Al Golden was coaching in the Super Bowl, but he wanted to make this hire in a very specific way. He didn't want Marcus Freeman Jr as his defensive coordinator. He didn't want somebody to come in, hey, here's the playbook, this is what you're doing. It's not what he wanted. He wanted a guy whose philosophy was similar, whose recruiting philosophy was similar, whose play or game day philosophy was similar, but if you've got a different way to go about it, so be it. Al Golden does. So what's that going to look like? Al Golden hasn't been a defensive coordinator in a really long time, right? He talks about what he learned at the NFL level. So... What does that look like? I think those are two intriguing questions and storylines going into the uh, beginning of the season because you're going to have two kind of completely different situations on offense and defense with a lot of the same personnel. No, that is very true. And you know, that it, it, we, we, we haven't seen Al Golden run a defense for like 15 years or 16, you know, going back to his time working for Al Groh at Virginia before he ever became a head coach. So that is going to be different but you know and again we're not there's only so much we can absorb from two full practices absolutely that we get to and see you know we, we don't know practice, he's going to call too, a game by the way non-padded What's that? 
They were not yeah, added true. practices. You know what I mean? That's true. They, they, they See, didn't show us stuff on purpose. Live stuff, but nobody's taking anybody to the ground or right. you know, yeah. And obviously they're they're not going to be doing a lot of blitzing and, and those kind of things. And that's that's gonna be kind of a question too, is how much you can get home with you know four guys up front. How much do you have to blitz? You know, Al Al Golden has shown in the past that he's going to blitz. You know, it's but, but again, it's like where does it come from and there's 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 a lot to you're absolutely right I think it kind of gets glossed over maybe a little bit it is I I think if you didn't have some of the other stuff at the top it would be a bigger storyline that this is the third defensive coordinator in the last three years for this team exactly so the first two have obviously gone on to become head coaches right it's it's it, it also points to a program that's going in the right direction you know when when that can be Pushed down as far as it is, right? And 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 uh, Mike Elko is a head coach now too, isn't he? So you've yeah. got the the last three defensive. That's coordinators. right. The last three have become head coaches. That's right. Yeah. So, Very good point. Pretty yeah. good lineage uh, to be defensive coordinator at the University of Notre Dame. Yeah, it absolutely is. All right, top players for the Irish. I don't think that it is any secret. Michael Mayer, Isaiah Foskey. Brandon Joseph, who do who else would you put sort of in what you expect to be the top echelon for this team this year? Well, if you know, you mentioned obviously the the, the key ones. Uh, Cam Hart, I think, belongs in that conversation. I, I think he's going to he has the potential to be a lockdown corner uh, at, at a All America type level, no doubt about that. Jarrett Patterson is Notre Dame's best offensive lineman. Uh, you know, he's he's been called the best center in the country. Obviously, he's not playing center for Notre Dame. He's going to be playing guard. Uh, so I think he belongs in that conversation. I think that's probably where the top tier ends. But there, you know, there's then there's another tier of guys and guys that still, you know, <clears throat> maybe they're a little bit younger and so they still have to prove themselves a little bit. But I, I think that that's probably the top tier. I don't think I'm missing anybody yet. But if you go to like that next tier, I think you're talking you know, the Lorenzo styles of the world. I think you're talking maybe some of the linebackers. I think they, you know, the linebacking core as a whole, I think is one of the top groups in the country, but individually, I think they're probably on that second tier, you know, from elite down, you know, one step, that kind of a thing. Yeah, I agree. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about my, uh, my uh, stream froze up there for a minute. So I missed a good chunk of, of a lot of the names that you probably rattled off. I'll just trust you. Uh, ah, you know yes. that that you had them. <laughs> so if I, you know, if I freeze in the middle, you might just shoot me a text here. Let's kind of. Brian's going to be coming on with you here in about fifteen minutes or so, and you guys are going to take a look at, uh, you know, some of the big games around the country, starting with that twelve thirty game over in Dublin between Nebraska and Northwestern, which is really interesting to me. Let's kind of take a snapshot look at who Notre Dame is going to play this year we all know Ohio State you know we're building up to that 11 and 2 last year 8 and 1 in the Big Ten interesting for Ryan Day now going into his fourth season first loss to Michigan and his first loss in Big Ten play it took till the end of his third season to get that first loss they had won 22 consecutive conference games before finally falling to uh, to Michigan last year and also yeah. you know of course they lost to Oregon early their first two loss season under Ryan right. Day. Big disappointments, I guess, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, well, I mean, when the, you set the expectations where they're at and you, you know, you exceed the expectations to start off. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of set that bar for yourself. And so, you know, I think that's where it belongs for Ohio State based on who they play and the conference they're in and all of that. Uh, Vigo asking Driscoll is going to be on. Yes, he is. He's going to be on for the second hour of the show. Cause I've got to, again, cut out and uh, head over to Notre Dame because Al Golden and Tommy Reese are going to be speaking with the media this morning. So I've got to get over there and uh, jump in on some of that. I mean, we all expect Ohio state, you know, to be a, a championship oh, yeah. contender. No surprises no there at all. Marshall in week two, seven and six last year, they were five and three in conference USA led by former Alabama, Mississippi State, and Penn State assistant coach Charles Huff, a young guy himself, 39 years old. I don't think that you know we're necessarily expecting this to be a high-flying Marshall-type offense. Any, any thoughts that you have on them in week two, Vince? I mean, look, they're going to be a, a decent other five conference player you know, for Notre Dame. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to give Notre Dame – some fits and then some things like that coming off of Ohio state. But again, this is, this is a pay to play type of game. This is a game that Notre Dame should, should roll pretty easily. No question about that. I mean, it's a first yeah. home game, you know, then you add in the Marcus Freeman stuff and you know, all of that, <clears throat> this, this, this game should not be close. I mean, you know, Marshall will give it a puncher's chance, you know, all of those kinds of things, but this game shouldn't be close when it's all said and done. Notre Dame should take care of business. Yeah. Justin Wilcox going into his sixth season as Cal's head coach. Amazingly, 15 and 11 yeah. in uh, 2018 and 19 combined, 11 and 17 in the other five years. They were five and seven last year. They beat Stanford, though, last year in the big game. They've won two out of three against their biggest rival. That seems to be the biggest thing Wilcox has going for him right now. Yeah. I mean, I. It, if you if you put a gun to my head and you ask me which is the tougher game, it might be Marshall. Um, I'm not. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot of faith. I don't have a whole lot of faith in Cal. I mean, their defense is pretty decent. Their offense, at least the last few years, have been has been putrid, to be honest with you. And again, another home game for Notre Dame, and a game they should easily walk away with. Yeah. North Carolina six and seven last year. Huge disappointment for Mac Brown. All that hype last year for Brown and Sam Howell and the whole thing. Hal had a solid year, but even he, in terms of NFL prospect-wise, did not turn out to be what I thought he was going to be. This is year four now yeah. for Mac Brown. I feel like because of the kind of person Mac Brown is, he gets a lot of national media love. The hype train has always been high for him, but I have just, you know, I didn't buy North Carolina last year, and I'm not buying him this year just based on the fact that you're losing Hal. Yeah, well, I'm with you on that one. I mean, and last year they had Howell, but they lost all the offensive production that they had, you know. And so I just – people are are circling this one as a, as a possible, you know, trap game and all of these different things going on the road. I just don't see this one as that big of a deal. And I maybe I'll be proven wrong and maybe I'll have a different opinion once I see North Carolina play a couple of games. But as of right now, going to North Carolina as a Notre Dame fan, as a Notre Dame analyst, doesn't scare me. I'm sorry. And I just, I, I have questions about their quarterback play. I have, I still have questions about their defense, even though they do have a new defensive coordinator. It, it, you know, it's, it's going to be a situation. You're going to have to show me first that North Carolina can be a contender and North Carolina right. can be consistent against Notre Dame. I mean, they blew them out last year and I don't see that being a whole lot different this year. And again, 
This is the fourth game of the season, so we're going to have some game tape to watch of North Carolina going into it. But at this point in the preseason, I think they're getting a lot of love for not a lot of substance. That's just yeah, me. Again, but I don't know. I don't see it. No, no. Again, Mac Brown seems like a great guy. He obviously won a national championship at Texas. And then, you know, things started backsliding sure. at Texas. He was retired for a while, working at ESPN for a while. And the recruiting is better at North Carolina. And in the ACC, I think a lot of people thought that where he was recruiting, and again, you've got Hal and you've got some of these other guys. They've had good skill talent offensively, but yeah, they've got to get better defensively still. Even you know, even if you want, to, you know, even if it is the yeah. ACC, I just feel Absolutely. like it's it's been it's been much more hype than it has been substance so far. Yes. BYU coming off a ten and three season, twenty one and four the last couple of years, and they've got a pretty good starting quarterback, Jaron Hall. Twenty touchdown passes, just five interceptions last year. Can use his legs a little bit as well. Three hundred and seven yards on the ground. Three more touchdowns on the ground. The Cougars, that, of course, is going to be the game out in Vegas in the Shamrock Series game. Your thoughts on them, D.D.? It's possible that I'm more excited about the trip than I am about the game. <laughs> but is, is that trip actually happening? I've heard that that airline uh, air ticket, you know, that the, the uh, tickets are mighty expensive to get out there. I've heard that as well, uh, but if I have to walk it, then I'll do it. But, uh, no, I, I think this this game is going to be a good game. I mean, I, I think BYU is who people think that they are. I still think that they're an echelon below Notre Dame. Notre Dame should go out there and take care of business. I mean, it's going to be a home game for Notre Dame out in Vegas with the, the Shamrock Series and all of that fun stuff. So, I do think Notre Dame is going to win this game. I do think it'll be a competitive game, at least going up into the, the fourth quarter. But this is going to be a fun one. You know, you got two independent teams, even though BYU is headed to a conference. You got two independent teams, two best independent teams, frankly, in the country going head to head in Vegas in a beautiful stadium. This has all the storylines that you would want. So I'm excited about it. And I think it's going to be a good game, too. Yeah, you've also got BYU people ticked off because, you know, this was supposed to be their home game to begin with, and then Whoops. it flips into a Shamrock Series game in Vegas, and they're all ticked off about the price of tickets and the allotment of tickets that they can get and this kind of thing. So it's like, then you've got the BYU administrators going, eh, you know what? We're pretty happy. We're getting some money out of this. We're going to be on NBC and all these, you know, we're going to, mm-hmm. it's going to be a much higher profile game because of the fact that it's in Vegas at, the Raiders stadium and the whole thing. And so, you know, the BYU administration's going, eh, you know, we can live with the fact that we're not getting as yeah, many tickets exactly. we thought you're going to have to pay more, you know, so live with it. Yeah. <laughs> Bingo. Absolutely. Stanford, man. It's, it's amazing. This is year well for David Shaw and this, it, it took a little bit longer. I really questioned that handoff from Harbaugh to Shaw that, that Shaw could, really keep Stanford at the level they were performing at. I mean, he had at least eight wins in his first eight seasons, double-digit wins five times in that stretch. But they've had losing records now two of the last three years after going three and nine last year. They're not, you know, like we were talking earlier about winning in the trenches. They are not really what they were in the trenches these last few years. And to me, 
It's also about they haven't got near the quarterback play they were getting early on. Yeah. Obviously, when you've got an Andrew Luck, you know you're gonna you're you're gonna be really good. But the quarterback play has really dropped off as well. And it's like I I, I start to wonder like is this a make or break year for a guy like David Shaw out there at Stanford? Well, I think at most schools it would be. At Stanford, I wonder if they care. Like I don't I don't the, the care level at Stanford for football just appears to be so low. You that, never sell tickets even when you're winning. Yeah, so. maybe they just, hey, you know what? He's a good dude. He stays out of trouble. He keeps the program, you know, out of the headlines in a bad way. So is he on the hot seat? I don't I don't know. It's kind of like a uh Coach Fitzgerald situation at Northwestern. Two back to back three and nine seasons. Yes. He should probably be on the hot seat. But you yes. know what? He's probably never yep. leaving Northwestern. So is that the same situation for Shaw? I don't know. He should be. I just don't think that he is. I just don't see the pressure coming. Now, I'm not in Palo Alto. I'm not reading the papers and all of those things. But I don't know. I I would think that they have to be better the next year. And if they're at the same or better than last year, he's good to go for the next year. So I just feel like he's kind of one of those people that's going to be around for a really long time regardless. Something drastically bad would have to happen, in my opinion, for him to go away. Right. John Christoffic, we've got a question in the chat. Why isn't Patterson the starting center this year? Well, he was injured in the spring. Pectoral injury. It gave Zeke Carell, the backup center, a chance, and Zeke Carell was really good, and they felt like by moving Patterson to left guard and having Carell be the center, it gave them a chance to get their five best offensive linemen on the field. Yeah. Now, Patterson's obviously been banged up. It was interesting. I saw, and I realized, you know, we're, we're part of the SI network and everything, but Sports Illustrated put out its preseason All-American team the other day, and they have Patterson as, as one of the top centers of in the do. country. So, because, you know, again, it's like asking national people to pay close attention. That's hard to do. I guess. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, that's I why mean, Patterson is not the center. Top five. It's, it's, it, you know, who are our top five linemen? We got to get right. them all on the field. And that's what you do. I mean, it, yep. That's what they did. Yep. UNLV next on the schedule. I don't have a lot to say about them. They were two and 10 last year. Marcus Arroyo, the former Oregon offensive coordinator, just two and 16 with the Rebels in his first two seasons. And uh, I guess there's a reason this is going to be the Peacock game. <laughs> that's that's a good point. I noticed that was the Peacock game the other day because I was wondering uh-huh. if they were going to do that again. And yes, they are, uh, which is yeah. fine. I mean, it is what it is. But I, it, yeah. Again, this is this falls under the category of let's get a W and you know have it at home and all of that fun stuff and send them back to the West Coast. You know, it, I do find it. I do find well, it very ironic that they're playing. Uh, you know, BYU out in Vegas, and then the Vegas team is coming to Notre Dame. Out of here. That, you know, a bit ironic. UNLV, yeah, UNLV was part of, Notre Dame has owed BYU that game for a long time, and the, there were some games that had to be moved around, and, you know, UNLV was part of that whole thing, and, and Notre Dame is fi- finally playing UNLV right. as a result of all of that, you know, so that's why they're on that's the right. schedule and everything, so... At Syracuse, who was five and seven last year, year seven for Dino Babers, he had a ten and three season. Remember Yankee Stadium and the you know that Shamrock Series game back in 2018, 11 and 24 the last three years. And this is another guy who I feel like 
is probably on the hot seat list coming into this season. Yeah, yeah, that one, you know, Syracuse is kind of an enigma wrapped in, you know, whatever the whatever the phrase is. I, I just it's hard to understand Syracuse. They they, you know, they're up in New York. They have a pretty good recruiting bed base to to go after and it's just they just can't seem to get it right, frankly. Um, you know, they what they've done well is compete against Clemson. They've done that really well. Uh, but other yeah. than that, they just haven't That's about been it. able to yeah, they just haven't been able to put it together and you know, going up there, playing in the Carrier Dome. I mean, that's obviously a unique place to play and all of that. But again, it's not one that if I'm a Notre Dame fan that I get too worried about or too shook up about. I mean, that should be a victory for Notre Dame. That falls under the category of games you should win, right? What Brian Kelly always used to do. So, that you know, that's what this game is. I don't expect a whole lot from Syracuse, except when they play Clemson. Uh, so Notre Dame's not Clemson. So I, I, I see this one as a, a pretty, pretty good size victory for Notre Dame. Yeah, Craig's saying we've got some bad teams on the schedule. She gets some backups, Absolutely. some playing time. You would definitely hope that. And don't forget, though, even though you've got some of these bad teams that we're talking about, Notre Dame still has the number 13 schedule in the nation coming into this season. So, Well, because they're, they're, they're top-heavy with some really good teams. And when that's right. the case, it's okay to have a couple of bottom feeders in there. I mean, I have no problem with that. And you can't go into these games saying, we are getting the backups to play. And you give them all the reps during the season or during the week, and then you have Ball State from a few years ago. You can't, you can't do yep. it that way. You have to go into it with your ones, prepared to do that, and then if the game allows it, then you get your subs in. And that's one thing that the last regime didn't do very well, in my opinion, was was systematically get backups in the game when they had the opportunity to do it. Well, I want to see Drew Pine in with the ones. Like I, I want to see that. At some point, I don't. I don't want it to be just be okay. We're sending all the twos and we're just hand the ball off. You know what I mean? There, but there, there was also the way. Ball State. You know, there was also the Ball State game when they were telling guys, you know, yeah. number twos and threes, hey, tell your family to come in. You're going to get to play in this game, and then it ends up being close. You know, right? Much closer yeah. than it Can't ever should have been. They had the wrong Can't mentality do- going yes. into that game. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Exactly. But when you have the opportunity, you need to have a system in place to make it happen so that you're actually preparing guys for the future or for, right. you know, a role that they may or may not have, you know? Right. Uh, Clemson 10 and three last year, Dabo Sweeney's first three loss season since 2014. Of course they did lose to Georgia early on, but also NC state and Pitt. And of course, you know, Pat Narduzzi at Pitt's, you know, feeling his oats and, you know, he thinks that he's something now because they beat Clemson last year. Okay. Let's see you do it two years in a row, but Pitt's <laughs> not on the schedule. You know, the big question DJ Uyangalale, how long is he going to right. last as the starting quarterback with a young freshman stud, you know, right behind him? He only completed 55% of his passes last year, nine touchdowns, sacked 21 times, 10 interceptions. You know, so there, it, Sweeney has shown in the past that he is willing to make a change if uh, if he needs to make a change. Kelly Bryant, you know, for, for Trevor yep. Lawrence back when yep. Trevor Lawrence was a freshman. So that's I think that's going to be probably the biggest question for Clemson going into the season. Is DJ Uyunglele going to make it through the season as the starting quarterback? Right. Completely agree. What is it going to look like by the time they come to Notre Dame in November? What's Notre Dame going to look like? You know, there there's a lot of question marks going into that game. You know, if you're asking me now, I like Notre Dame because it's a home game, because it's in November, because all of the question marks that we have about Notre Dame should have a decent answer to them by then. We're going to have a really good feel of who Notre Dame is, 
who Clemson is at that point. And if they have a quarterback controversy at that point, I'm definitely putting my chips all in on Notre Dame because, right. you know, the whole if you got two, you got none kind of a situation. So, hey, go, 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 Kate Klubnik. All right. Let's have that quarterback controversy. I'm all for it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, kind of check through. We got a, a couple more games Navy and Baltimore. Ken Niamatololo in his 15th season. They're just 7 and 15 the last couple of years. Have not done, you know, exceptionally well. Boston right. College is interesting. Jeff Halfley coming into his third season. I really like him as a head coach. They were 6 and 6 last year. Phil Jakovic, former Notre Dame quarterback. This is going to be the biggest storyline assuming that, you know, Phil Jakovic, he was injured last year so he didn't play a full season. Uh, he missed 6 games, I believe it was last year didn't play from mid-september through early november he'll be coming potentially back to notre dame stadium as the starting quarterback so that'll be the big storyline of that game assuming that you know phil jerkovic is is healthy and he's the quarterback coming into that and senior day and all of that too so that'll be an extra added storyline this last game of the year so you know that'll be a fun one i have a feeling yep and then of course usc in los angeles this year Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, that whole crew. So, you know, that's what's no matter what, by game 12, everyone's going to look different at that point, whether it's Notre Dame or USC. We do expect a better USC, but again, USC's biggest questions are down in the trenches. They've got those skill guys, but it's down in the trenches. And I think that's where Notre Dame, on paper, at least right now, is going to be a lot better than USC this year. I And again, what is USC going to be? I think you've got people on both sides of, of this thing for you. They're, oh, they're going to be national title contenders. Oh, they're going to be eight and four. Like, <laughs> the, where where is USC going to be? You know what I'm saying? So, like, what, what does that look like? Where are they going to be? Again, we're going to have a lot of answers up to that point. And so we'll see where we're at, but... I just I don't have a whole lot of faith in USC, mainly because of what's going on in the trenches with them. They're going to have a ton of skill talent, no doubt about it. It's like Oklahoma West. So you know, what is this going to look like once they get to the end of November? I don't have a whole lot of faith in it, and I do have a whole lot of faith in Notre Dame. So we'll see what happens. Yep. All right, Vince. Well, I've got to go because I've got to head over to Notre Dame, do a little uh, talking with Al Golden and. Tommy Reese and uh, see what kind of comments they have. We're going to hear from Marcus Freeman on Monday as well. And of course, Vince and I will be back. IB nation sports talk Monday night as we get into our first game week of the season.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.